Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Recovery Wednesday, August the 17th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. Michael, I heard you through the radio show. You're not on mute. <laughs> so we welcome you to the show. And if you press 1, that puts you in queue, and you can ask us questions, make comments, and we would love to hear your input on that. So... He asked if I could talk for just a minute, so I will do that. If you And, Michael, if you'd mute your phone. Um, so you can go to our website, which is www.whyagain.org. And if you click on the either the Start Here button or the bullseye in the middle of the page, it will take you to a whole lot of links, worksheets, different things, and particularly, and I'm clicking in as I'm talking so I can tell you exactly, right beside of the bullseye in the middle of the page, there is a picture of some steps, and it says 12-step program. Since this is Recovery Wednesday, I thought I would mention this one. So if you click on the the 12-step programs of forgiveness uh, link, underneath it so it's got a lot of information there but then also underneath it there's a thing that says do you want to stop the addiction and where do you start and if you click on that link it will take you to a full page of first steps that would change your life from that addiction and so I think I heard Michael but I don't know if he's actually with us yet hello okay I guess not his headset. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Life in intensive time. <laughs> Lots happening. Yeah. So. Anyway, and it's awesome. We are just rocking along. So much process already. Uh, did the why is this happening to me again? Workshop at least the first two thirds of it uh, yesterday, and it's like a, a, a new clarity, a new level of understanding for everybody it's interesting everybody in the uh, in the classes uh, has taught or is a teacher and is moving forward in teaching and we had a young man yesterday who called us who lives here locally he had done the why is this happening to me again workshop during the 10-day food fund forgiveness and work program and he called yesterday and he's like i want to do this I'd like to do the intensive. So he joined us last night. So he's the only one who hasn't been in teaching yet. So it'll uh, add another flavor. One of the things that happens in an intensive is it's very live. And actually, I didn't realize this until several years later. But if I go back to the first time that I got on the platform to teach, I was uh, in Toronto, Canada, and there was another gentleman who had a a a class going on and I had committed to teaching two hours for him in that class and my background was electronics and the part I was presenting was about energy systems and electronics that that whole thing energy fields and such and I had my whole first hour presentation all laid out I knew every word I was going to say man I had it so down pat and it was the worst 
most embarrassing disaster I think I have ever been in. It was just horrific. And I didn't realize and, and what I did. If I, if I hadn't, it's interesting, if I hadn't been committed to doing that second hour that weekend, I'd have probably quit. But what I did was I threw away my notes and I just presented, which is most of you know, that's what I usually do now. Unless there's a particular system of thought we want to present, like codependence. But, but um, I realized actually several years later, after I started to teach intuitive development, that the reason it was such a disaster is that on the inside I was listening and hearing what people were asking. But in my head I had it all made up as to what I needed to do. And the confusion was just rampant. And so uh, each time we do a class, there's always some something different, a different focus, a different movement than, than with a, a, a different group of people because those intuitive questions, the intuitive uh, hit of energy that's needed for this particular composite. And it's always interesting that a, a different uh, group of people um, have a different theme. Each intensive has its own theme. It's interesting this one is... Uh, is uh, Blockage of truth is, is the number one issue for virtually everybody in the class. And uh, it was interesting because um, Jeannie and I hadn't taken our, our evaluations for this class. I do it usually once a year just to kind of keep track of where my personal code's at and if I've got any blockages. And, and uh, so since we're doing a three-day personal code evaluation training, we decided that we would both do our evaluations and both of us came up with, guess what? Number one challenge, blockage of truth. So, so the theme of the class is definitely blockage of truth. And uh, the antidote being love of truth is really uh, key to keep loving the truth enough to allow the mind to see what it needs to see. One of the principles we got into yesterday in the class was, uh, was the idea that probably the most common addiction besides busyness and of course the granddaddy of addictions hostility the most common addiction is that people manage their stress by blocking truth and when I say that lay out a bit of explanation it might be useful to everybody I'll, I'll assume that um, you know, seeing as how that's our theme, that maybe there's some ears that might be doing some blockage truths in the audience today, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised because it usually happens that way. The Dr. Tim will say, yeah, in the office this morning, our main topic was blockage of truth, but we'll see how that folds out. But when you realize there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame when 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that gets into the construct that you call the world is nine bits. And what you call the world is not a picture of what's happening out there that you're seeing through your eyes. It's not the way it works. When you say, I see something, what you're seeing, your, your eyes are not a two-way device. They do not go in and out. Energy comes into the eye. Light energy comes in. Nothing exits the eye in regard to seeing. You don't see through a set of windows what comes in through the eye, the light energy and the other senses that pick up frequencies, causes brain cells to fire. And those brain cells that fire literally construct the world that you see. So we all think we're looking out in the same world. That's what our culture has taught us, but there's nothing further from the truth. We do not all look out in the same world. We all look for, on the inside at pictures painted on the inside of our eyeballs at our own unique individual world. Yes, it's based on, in many instances, light energy coming in, and when the perceptual world that's created from that is really askew, then we say people are crazy. They're not crazy, they're just living in a different perceptual world, one that doesn't match ours. Sometimes maybe one that's more accurate than ours, who knows. But there's some interesting research that was done by the CIA. Who knows how many millions they spent on it, but if you go to their website, there's a book on their study of perception. And their study of perception was designed to create the best perception possible for their analysts. And even the CIA is saying out of their research, and you know, it's what we've been teaching for decades, that the world we see 
is not recorded by the mind. The mind isn't a recording device that sees what's out there, but rather, quote, the mind does not record reality, it generates reality. So when you realize that you're seeing nine bits of information out of 10,000 brain cells firing, that's what your perceptual construct is made out of, it's variable according to what nine bits of information are firing in you. You know, people standing in a corner cancel thought to see an accident, and the guy who's got a, a real, you know, edge about uh, women drivers is sure he saw the woman drive through the red light and hit the car, the other car. The person who's sure that, you know, women drivers are perfect and men drivers are the one who create the accidents is sure that he saw the man swerve and hit her. And, and each one has a perception which they will attest to. And each one has a picture that is evidence of what's firing in their own brain cell structure. You can document this by asking yourself, have I ever had anybody accuse me of saying something I never said or doing something I did not do? And, of course, everybody giggles and puts their hands up when I ask that question. Think about a time when someone said, you said this when you didn't. You did that when it never happened. What state of mind was that person in when they accused you of doing what you didn't do? Were they in this loving, connected, wonderful space? No. It's always from hostility or fear. The number one marker that our perceptual construct is askew is that it comes from a place of hostility or fear in us. And people will swear things occurred. They saw what is not even close to accurate in terms of the actuality. So each of us has this perceptual device that generates a picture based on the information it's got and what that information resonates in them. If the information that's resonated in them is way off in left field somewhere, they'll swear they saw it happen because our, our minds are devices that convert energetic experiences into pictures. We have this digital to analog converter called the mind. And if I live in a world where I have biases, and the bias means something that controls the way energy flows. You know, if you're in the electronics world, you put in a, a device that creates a bias, and that bias changes the energy flow through a transistor or a tube or whatever it happens to be. And by varying that bias, you can cause that device to do things. Well, if one has a bias in a particular arena, for instance, if one lives in a world that, you know, Man, when I was a kid, I got blamed for I could never do anything right. My power person was all over me all the time about how I couldn't do it right. and I had to be controlled and I had to be directed. And, boy, if I couldn't make my own choices. Blah, blah, blah. You've got a person who, when they're under stress, and power person dynamic comes up, will play out that same game. And so they live in a world that doesn't exist except between their ears. And each of us insists that the world we see is accurate. But if we manage our stress and hold a bias in order to keep stress down, for instance, that might look like, you know, for the child that's been through what I just described, that might look like, well, I always have to be right because if I'm not right, then I'm in trouble. So the person who holds that bias will block all evidence that they could have possibly made a mistake. Their mind will send up evidence. It doesn't matter how they need to change the story. It doesn't matter how it needs to be varied. But they will find a, a way to tell a story that will make them right. They'll twist things just a little bit, tweak them a little bit, so their mind shows up with a picture of them being right, and everybody looks and goes, what are you talking about? You're so far out in left field, it's not funny. Well, that's called blockage of truth. And because of the pain and the stress of the event of the child and not 
wishing to look at that, not wishing to deal with that, that's kept locked down and out of sight. And that bias, locked down and out of sight, changes the energy flow of information to the mind, and this person comes up somewhere in la-la land. And so the antidote for this blockage of truth is love of truth. For those who might be out there who've, uh, who've done laws of living with us previously, we had this conversation in the class yesterday, but we, we used to in laws of living teach blockage of personal error, that people would not want to look at their errors so they would block their errors. And it was actually in a Laws of Living Intensive that that just became crystal clear to me. You know, another piece that I was willing to be taught that, no, people never block their errors. They see their errors. They just call their errors truth. And they give them a twist and a tweak. So when the error comes forward and the error is, you let's, let's take a typical error that people make. How many people have ever said, you made me mad? So that's a total lie. Nobody has ever made you mad. You have never made anybody mad. If you're, if you're into apologizing for the fact that you made people mad or insisting people apologize for making you mad, you're living in blockage of truth. You hold a bias in your mind that does not allow you to see that your anger belongs to you. You notice if you've been through a particular anger reality 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the only one that was there every time. But your biased mind will keep that in hiding. And what comes forward is the lie, you made me mad. It'll it'll keep the, the fact that you're responsible for your anger hidden. And it will bring forward a picture of someone else making me mad. So when I say you made me mad, I'm living in a lie. But I call my lie, you made me mad, truth. So now when I fill my nine-bit mind with a lie, you made me mad, and I say, and that's the truth, I can prove it, look, then... I'm living in blockage of truth. By calling my lie truth, I live in blockage of truth, and now the truth isn't available to me. Now, you'll notice if you get close to someone who lives that way, who plays that game, and you decide to play John the Baptist for them, which is really a, a big part of doing this work. You know, I've, I've shared before, Tim shared before, how somebody wants to puke on you for bringing them information that they're in blockage of truth of. So if someone is holding that bias and another brings the truth, the evidence that would prove that you're responsible for your own anger, what happens is being confronted with truth when one is in blockage of truth, their stress goes up. So the spouse that turns to the other spouse and says, you know, I'm really tired of you blaming me for your anger. You know, you were angry at work yesterday. You were angry over on the golf course the day before. You were angry at the store. Anger is your game, and I'm not responsible for it, and the guy on the golf course wasn't responsible, and the clerk at the store wasn't responsible. You're responsible for your anger. Grow up and take responsibility for it. What happens is confronted with that truth, the mind that has a bias that everybody else is to blame for my anger, their stress skyrockets, goes through the roof. Now, one of the things we work toward, especially in laws of living, help people to rewire, helping people to rewire, is to rewire the mind so that when truth shows up and stress arises, unless instead of doing what most people do, and that is when their stress goes up, it's wired to getting rid of the source of the information. What we work to do is help people to rewire their minds so that when their stress goes up, it rewires to going to self-correction so that the person who's in anger all the time blaming everybody else is confronted with, you know, you've been doing this all your life and, and you've always got a new person to blame for it, but you're the only one that was there every time. It's about you that this person can take a breath and go, whew, I, I never thought of it that way. Jeez, maybe I am responsible for my anger. 
what what do I do now? Well, you know, I've always thought it was everybody else. Well, that person has the opportunity then to go inside themselves and start to become aware of the blocked truth, and that is, I have anger. And thank you for that tool of forgiveness, because now I can wire my awareness of anger to doing the forgiveness work around getting rid of my anger so that I can be free of it. Because, you know, it's miserable to be angry all the time. It's just a heck of a place to live. But I always thought it was everybody else's fault. And so loving truth becomes the antidote for that game of blockage of truth, and it shifts the whole operation of the mind. And, and to watch people who stand in that place of willingness to move there is just monumental and the changes that happen in the family system when that occurs and the beauty of it is it's not a big deal all one has to do when they're in that situation where their stress is up and they want to puke on somebody else is stop for a moment and look at the goal they hold for that person who stands in front of them well my goal is for you to agree with me you're the cause of my anger and cancel that goal because as long as that goal is held in the mind, it will distort the truth. Great line in the Course of Miracles. You must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. So when I can cancel that goal, then I can start to look at the truth and go, geez, yeah, you know, God, I'm angry everywhere and, and I'm always blaming everybody. What do I do with that? Okay. That's where you start doing worksheets, where you begin to use the forgiveness process. And all of a sudden what happens is you get to live in a peaceful mind rather than an angry mind. You get to see a peaceful world rather than an angry world. Everybody that's out there struggling, fighting, making war lives in an angry, rageful world because they're angry, rageful people. You go back... And most people who believe in that whole world and think it's really the truth started out in early childhood with anger and abuse. And now they're big, tough soldiers, angry and abusing people. But they're justified because it's somebody else's fault. And all they're doing is playing out their power person dynamic. When we can get that across, guess what? All the war makers, we can create a critical mass of people who understand that dynamic And we can take all of those who make war because of their angry childhoods. When we can get people who make money because war is profitable, start to see that we could be doing it differently and the money could come from somewhere else, the whole game's going to shift on planet Earth. And that's precisely why we're doing this work. That's precisely why we're doing this show, to change the game for everybody on the planet to a point where people live in love of truth They'd love to see the truth, and that means that instead of managing their stress by blocking the truth, they manage their stress by owning the truth, and if the truth is not pretty, then they work through whatever's going on in them and forgive it instead of always pointing it at someone else. We had a, a person in the class yesterday who was, uh, uh, had a major, major upheaval yesterday morning with a, a sister who found out was had a second round of cancer and was on the phone with them. Jeannie and I were there supporting this person. And instead of holding the breath and locking into the trauma of his sister or himself in their past, was able to breathe through that and let go of it and ended up instead of, you know, the sister living in the world of don't even ever talk to me again because of her pain and anger, ended up being able to process and express deep respect and love for his sister and support for his sister. And in the class last night when we did the worksheet process, he was doing his worksheet on his sister and got down to the punishment thought. And he was like, you know, I've done many, many worksheets on my sister. And and I've always had a whole list, you know, a laundry list of punishment thoughts. And he's like, I don't have any punishment for her anymore. Yeah, that piece of work you did this morning, 
just wash that part of your mind clean. How would it look if each of us lived in a world where, no matter what anybody does, punishment could not enter our conceptual framework? What kind of a world would we be living in? That's possible when we come out of blockage of truth and stop using blockage of truth to manage stress and have such a deep love of truth that the willingness comes forward to look at, to see everything that needs to be seen. So that's what we're here to share with you. I hope that uh, little piece of information is helpful. And as far as application goes, sometimes it can be challenging. So we have a call-in number, 646-200-4169. If you're in the chat room or if you're in one of those uh, uh, stations that we can't see you in our control panel. If you call into the show and we can support you, please ask your question. If you're on the uh, phone in the phone queue, then you just push one, and through the magic of technology, that puts a little hand up, and Jeannie will know that you're uh, wanting to ask a question or make a comment. And uh, we're appreciative of the fact that you're here. Let's say hello to Dr. Tim and see how that young man be. Are you with us, Tim? Jeannie, is Tim with us? Are we mute challenged? There, there we I'm go. I'm getting back on. <laughs> okay. I, I I had um I'd gotten kicked off and uh I'm I'm on and off through this hour because of some business dealings, but right now I'm on. Cool. I thought I would just say we had uh, another wonderful Tuesday group last night, and I didn't I didn't hear a theme of recovery Wednesday, but I enjoyed the intro and understand exactly that the I've seen several times in the past few days, including in our group last night, the power of learning that my upset is a sign of my blockage of truth. And when I apply the tools to remove what's less than that truth and that love, relief happens. And it happened again last night for a brave person in our group. And um, I just say before I go back on mute that I'm just blessed to have the opportunity to share this process with people. So, Awesome, sir. And we're blessed that you are sharing the process with the people you do share it with and with us, and we appreciate you deeply, deeply, deeply. And you're right. Uh, you know, with the intensive going on, my mind skipped that it was even Wednesday. I don't keep track of days very well during intensives, but it fits perfectly. In fact, the, uh, the whole 12-step, if you look at the willingness to surrender and asking for help, doing an inventory is all about overcoming blockage of truth. And that's definitely the key. And actually, we'll probably get some comments in that regard from Gail if she's with us today. Are you there, young lady? I am here. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think I, I, I suspect that probably, although I didn't um, language it because uh, my brain wasn't on uh, it being Recovery Wednesday, where we're working on recovering the truth of being, which certainly ties in that... Uh, when people are not functioning as love, they're blocking the truth about themselves. But the uh, uh, the whole 12 steps really is, in a sense, could be said to be geared to overcoming blocks of truth and living in the truth and getting support for living there. How does that fit for you from the 12-step perspective, Gail? Um, I thought the intro was perfect and beautiful, and um, I appreciated the bits and pieces that you gave me by hearing that information over again. And I agree with you. Um, in the second step, it talks about um, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. And one of the definitions of sanity is best to, in order to define sanity, it's best to define its opposite. And that would be insanity. And one of the, um, definitions that we get for insanity is from Albert Einstein and that's doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results and another definition that we get is to live outside the truth 
So when we're being restored to sanity, um, we're doing something different in order to get different results, or we start to live inside the truth. And, of course, the um, phrase come to believe is a change in thought. Yeah, it's right along with what we do in the Aramaic forgiveness process for sure is to to be returned to truth and um, working the rest of the steps, taking different actions in step two, um, making a decision in step three, doing the inventory in step four to look at the facts of our thinking errors, uh, talk about those thinking errors in step five, uh, become willing to to release those those thinking errors in step six, release those thinking errors in step seven, and start to make amends to people that we've harmed throughout those thinking errors in eight and nine. And then, of course, the maintenance step in, in 10 is to do these things every day. And um, step 11 is, is um, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. It's a nation step. Uh, we want to get rid of everything that blocks us off from God, blocks us off from truth, and um, be able to hook up to the divine and act in the truth by receiving guidance and, and acting on our intuition. So there's a perfect uh, definition of sanity then, and that is, when you realize that God is love, to live as we were created to live as love becomes sanity. And, of course, by that definition, most of the world is insane. Because you look at the hostility, the fear, the rage, the guilt, the grief in so many circles. And I mean, just looking at the whole political process is such a, a, a microscope on the insane mind and people who you would think would be moving in the direction of wanting to be sane to run a country, and yet the hostility, the fear, the the, the, the stories, the, the, the lies, is just amazing. And so recovery of the truth of who we are, that we all started out exactly the same. You know, if you hold a newborn child, you know exactly what human life is, and it's about recovery of that human life. And that would be living in truth. So it all definitely ties together. Do you have the space, by the way, to uh, to take on uh, another person as a sponsor? I certainly do. I certainly Good. Well, do. After, right after the show, I'll give you a quick call, and uh, I have someone that I'm I have in mind that uh, could use some support if that's appropriate. That that would be that would be awesome. That cool. would be awesome. Fabulous. Well, anything on your mind uh, then in terms of uh, recovery Wednesday? I I absolutely do have something on my mind. I have um, a question for you. Um, I will tell okay. a brief story and and see where we go. Um, I was eating dinner with a friend of mine who is also in recovery. And a name was brought up of a, somebody that we know mutually. And I had said, if this person walks into this restaurant, I would probably be moved to verbally assault her and maybe maybe physically harm her. And, um, Ouch. It, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of energy behind this particular person. And what I did, um, this person, I um, – She's she's got more time in the program than I do. Uh, she knows enough about the Can I interrupt you for a moment? You may. Can I interrupt you for a moment? You Let me may. Just ask a question. Let me ask a question about truth here. Is there a lot of energy? Your words were behind this person, or is there a lot of energy in your mind that you attach to this person? Absolutely, and that's exactly what the person that I was eating with was gentle enough and had enough information to point the mirror back at me and have me take a look. Cool. And, and during that weekend, um, the weekend after that, um, I did a numerous amount of, of worksheets or wake-up sheets on this individual. 
to in order to dismantle that um that energy and I thought I before this process started that this all has to do with my mother and it doesn't it drilled down into my stepfather and uh-huh. um yeah and I started to do some new goal canceling on my stepfather after I got rid of all the energy um, pertaining to this other woman. And actually I was able to go to a meeting and sit in a meeting with this woman and, and be in a place of, of neutrality yesterday, which it was is huge for me um, with the best interest of the newcomer that I brought to the meeting um, to be able to sit in that meeting and, have moved to a place of compassion. And um, so that was, that was huge. Um, that transformation and that particular relationship. Um, but the, the question I have for you to, to have drilled down in, into my stepfather and to start to cancel goals. I had a lot of goals based around my mother's death for him um, that I'd never canceled. And before well, I didn't even realize that I had them. Um, and there, there's a lot of hatred right. um, around that because he did not take care of my mother, nor would he allow us to t- take care of her while she was dying. And she suffered a lot and needlessly um, because of his neglect. And it, it seemed like to me, that he was seeking revenge. She was in a totally, completely helpless state. He wouldn't let us near her, um, like I said, and and um, and he wouldn't take care of her. And he kept per- wanting her to pursue further treatment, which is chemo and, and suffering. He wouldn't allow her to have hospice, die peacefully at home. Um, I felt like he always made everything about him. And and would not focus on her, so I canceled a lot of these goals, and I hit a spot where there wasn't any much further to drill into. Does that make sense? Do you get to that place where this is it? This is a dead end. This is where this energy stops. This is where the synergy was created and you need to finish dealing with this particular person. Absolutely. Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I was sharing with the person here at the intensive who uh, had had hundreds of worksheets that he's done around his sister and always had an abundance of punishment thoughts. And after a huge opening, I mean, he sat uh, with both Jeannie and I on the phone with her and just, Feared and and uh, really kept breathing instead of holding the breath and just processed through a ton. I mean, did an awesome piece of work. And is there still work to do around his sister? Yes, but punishment is just evaporated. And it comes to that. And I'll, I'll hold the space that you could go to a meeting and be in the room with that person that you started the conversation about and actually look at them through eyes that are fueled by the active presence of love and could reach out in true active love and offer them truly total love and support because that's what human life does. And, you know, there's, there's a powerful piece in the Course of Miracles that says, exempt no one from your love or you will be hiding a darkened place in your mind where healing is not welcome. And when you realize that, you know, when we have upset, we have upset, we, we hold this whole hallucinogenic world where I'm upset about a body, that body out there, that person out there who is a body. And, of course, let's go back to the very basics of the why is this happening to me again. Einstein says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses, there is no matter. So there is no body out there. The body, you know, each of us is an energy field. If we could see the truth of who we are, we'd see this worrying mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. That's literally what's true about us. But 
the brain, according to the way it's been trained, you know, a thousand times we're hypnotized into seeing eye, ear, nose, hair. You know, as babies, they stood over us and went, see, nose, eye, hair, chin, four, you know. And so that the mind produces a world of bodies out of what's firing within it. And so if a body shows up in my mind that I have hatred toward, that body is a symbol of my hatred. It literally is an outpicturing of the part of my mind that holds hatred. And when I forgive and collapse into the underlying hatred, that's what I can dissolve it. And I dissolve it, if you think about step four in the worksheet, before you go into the key forgiveness step, you bring love present. And so when I bring love present to that part of my mind, the part of my mind that holds my disease of hatred that I'm in blockage of truth about, and whenever it's stimulated, I make up a symbol called the body of somebody else, or in some cases one can make up a symbol of themselves and call themselves the body that they hate. That happens very deeply a lot as well. But when I can collapse that symbol and stop exempting them from the presence of love, then I stop exempting the part of my mind that holds that trauma and pain from love. In other words, I re-presence love to the part of my mind that holds my trauma. And when I re-presence love to the part of my mind that holds that trauma, that this person is a symbol of, my trauma dissolves and I'm freed of it. In other words, whatever disease is happening in the tissue, that that trauma is held, heals instantly. And whatever bodies come from that, that, that use that part of my that I use that part of my mind to generate this world of bodies, this world of symbols. And when I enter the forgiveness process, I collapse that symbol and I get to look at what's underneath it and bring love to it, the part that's been hidden and you know, anytime somebody's in hostility or fear of any kind, it's because there's a part of their mind that they're hiding from themselves, and they will always use that part of their mind to make up a symbol and have an object of attention that that's the person I fear, that's the person I hate, that's the person I'm scared of, that's the person I'm upset with, when the truth is, it's all an inside job, and when we stop exempting others from our love, when we can start bringing the active presence of love to that part of our minds, then that part of our minds heals. And oftentimes that part of our mind is generations and generations and generations and generations old. It's been going on for so long. And literally, you're bringing healing to the generations. If I do a piece of work, and I find the next time I see them, it's there again, then that's my next piece of work. Boop, now I'm back two generations. I see them again, and I'm still in that disturbance. I do another piece of work. That maybe goes back three, four, five. When they asked Yeshua, is seven worksheets enough? And his answer was 77 times 70. Does that mean that we're literally going back 77 times 70 generations in our bloodline to clean up the rage, the guilt, the fear, the pain of the generations? I'd offer that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what coming out of the desert means. You know, that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. And when you think about that, how does a bright group of people like this get lost in a 30-square-mile area for 40 years? They weren't talking about a hot, sandy place. They were talking about unconsciousness. And what had to happen to get out of the desert? They said the old generation had to die off. Not everybody in old physical bodies, but the causes carried within the genes from the generations. We actually started this intensive out by watching the video, The Ghost in Your Genes. And uh, there is a link on the website. Everybody might, want, might benefit from watching. It's a free watch uh, through our website of the ghosts in your genes. And it gives a whole another level of insight into how these generational patterns, you know, you go back and they were talking genetics several thousand years ago when they said the Jews were wandering in the desert for 40 years and the old generation had to die off. They had to clean up. When they talked about the sins of the father passed to three and four generations, they talked about that. When I'm cut off from love, the only advisor I have 
is what's in my genes. So I said, and, you know, here's, here's the creator talking to humans directly. Here's love saying, the heirs of your generations will run your life if for three to four generations, if you hate me. You look at the final phrase in that statement about the generational patterns. And hate there in Aramaic is not, not hate as in a love-hate relationship, but those who are separated from me. So humans, or people who are potentially human, who cannot call forward, really truly call forward the literal conscious active presence of love, have no other advisor to go to but to what the generations have done. And, of course, if we look at our generations, I know if I look back at mine, some of them were pretty crazy. So if that's the only advisor we have, yeah, we're in trouble. But when I stop hating, that is, I stop being separated from the active presence of love, when I can invite the creator, love, as I know him or her, whatever pronoun you wanted to use, because it's, it's energy, it's not, it's not about a creature, if I bring forward the active presence of love in me, then I can begin to dissolve those patterns. And all of a sudden, the symbols of my hatred, bodies in my mind that I think are the bodies that I hate, disappear. Another great line in The Course of Miracles says, there is no place so holy upon the earth as a place where an ancient hatred becomes a present love. And oftentimes, as many of us have experienced, the people we seem to have the most conflict with end up being our deepest friends because they're the ones who've introduced us to the deepest parts of our own mirrors, the deepest parts of our own mind in need of healing and given us that opportunity. And I breathe with you. Well, I thank you. I thank you for all that. Honored. Delighted. Glad to be on the team. Glad to have you on ours. Absolutely. I'm Fabulous. amazed. I, I'm amazed by what is stirred up before I start to head towards an intensive. So this is definitely <laughs> yes. an issue. This is definitely a power person dynamic that I'm going to need support and getting rid of because the hatred for this man I don't have a laundry list for this man. I just want this man to die. Mm. And on past, so, past things, so, I put so murder me, down. <laughs> yeah. So, so what you're now talking about, remember, it's all done with smoke and mirror. So what you're now talking about is the part of you that you wish would die and the part of you that you feel murderous toward. He's a symbol. It's all an inside job. And that has brought up alarm, but I wanted to be as honest as possible on my wake-up sheet and to be honest as possible, you know, um, to bring up alarm, but I would write that down. So, yeah, I guess, you know, St. Paul said that we have to die every day or we need to die. I guess that's the part of me that wants to die is that energy, that disintegrative energy. in fact, if you look at that, you know, you listen to Yeshua, and Yeshua says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. What he's saying is, in order for you, being love, that newbornness that you are, to live, the non-being self that you've identified with, the false self you've created based in hostility or fear, has to die. And then, if you listen to Paul, he says, I die daily in Christ. And what he's saying, Christ there is a symbol of a direct line. That word in Aramaic means a direct channel to God's love. And so what Paul's talking about is that the the self that I have not yet handled, the self that was such a challenge to me, Paul, you'll notice that Paul, with all his teaching, still doesn't understand the core of how to do the healing process. Because he says, he, he acknowledges of himself, 
When he's under stress, and that's always the toughest place to, atti- uh, to apply the tools, when he's under stress, he says, why is it the things I would do, i.e. love, I cannot do, and the things I would not do are what I do? His non-being self is still so in control when under stress that he can't experience the presence of love. And when he's saying, I die daily in Christ, what he's saying is, I open another space in me to allow this non-being self to be dissolved by the active presence of love. And as I do that, I'm engaging in the work of healing. And so you're right on track. It's awesome. Fabulous. Awesome. Thank you for your support. Hey, you got it, and we'll look forward to uh, the next layers and levels of that that open in uh, in Laws of Living. It's fabulous. Absolutely. Look forward to anything it. Anything else on? Okay, anything else on your mind before we check in and see if we've got any hands up? Um, that's it. That's what's going on for me right now. Um, it, it's it created a lot of. Um, Paralysis, I've been stuck, and I know that I need to keep canceling goals that I have for him in order to move forward. So I'm grateful for the tools um, to be able to recognize that I had goals for him. I'm grateful for the tools to be able to have that re- that disintegrative energy removed. Um, this man has been in my life since I was 16 years old. It, it's time. It's time to let go. Um and my mom's been dead for 11. Hmm. Well, so we're certainly sure. uh, in the space and holding the space, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, every layer that comes up being dissolved, disappeared, and moving forward so that Absolutely. you would be empowered to enter a room with this gentleman and walk over, and not because of what he is or has or has not done, but because of who you are, that you're so powerfully present in love, you can embrace him in that love. That's the ultimate Absolutely, and that's who I want to be. Yeah, yay, yay, nice. I had a sponsor who always asked, who do you want to be in this situation? And that's who I want to be. So, absolutely. And it's really powerful to recognize when I'm not there that I tell myself the truth instead of grit my teeth and pretend to be that which I am not. To really be honest, there's the whole love of truth thing, too. And, I mean, you just gave us a perfect example for the introduction of how I could be in blocks of truth and keep this hidden and be pretending, or I could be with the truth and look at what I've got to look at, a huge, huge piece of work that I have to do. And that's exactly people who use blockage of truth to manage their stress would have that whole thing hidden and go in with a smile and shake a hand and go, oh, yeah, I'm in school, and have no idea that there was this huge disease going on under the surface. So it's a perfect example of, of the power of love of truth. And, of course, it's not always Dr. Feelgood. It opens a piece of work to be done. I wanted to give you a really funny anecdote um, based on this. Usually my scores end up being that I have a high love of truth and low love of other, for others or low love for self. So that puts me in the position of being hell to be with and, and hell. Yeah, I'm in hell and I'm hell <laughs> right. to be with. And, and so how that, what that looks like in my life, the, just a funny anecdote, is um, that we call those kind of people in the 12-step world big book thumpers. Or what that would be called in the Christian world would be Bible thumpers, um, is that we have this high love of truth and we just want to smack people upside the head with it because they're not doing it right. And that particular kind of behavior has gotten me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> so, I um, can imagine. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just want, I wanted to throw that out there. So with that, I am complete and look forward to listening to see if somebody else has something to add. Cool. Maybe before we do that, we'll just uh, pop in with Tim if he's still with us and uh, has been listening, if he's got any input for you. It's always got some valuable insight. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, sir. 
Okay, I have been uh, busy with business things and only caught back and forth pieces, so I'm going to just send my blessing and withhold for awesome. this time. All right, sir. Fabulous. All right, well, Jeannie, uh, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody in the chat room that has a question for us? Chat room is really quiet. We did have a hand up until just a few minutes ago and hung up, so I don't know if they're still online. We have four minutes, so we could do a quick question. So if you are still on there, press one. It'll put you back up in queue. And, and no hands up. If we, if we don't have a hand up, then I'm going to talk a little bit. Well, actually, let's talk about two things. The two events that we have coming forward yet, Jeannie is doing starting on September 15th, and that's confirmed. I think you said you've got room for three more residential uh, ladies for your intensive in Michigan. We have, room for, we have room for three residential and four commuters. So right now we're up to 11, so it's awesome. So you're going to have a full house, it sounds like. That's fabulous. Yeah. So, ladies, uh, Jeannie's going to be doing a um, Women Healing Women four-day mini-intensive starting the 15th of September in uh, Williamsburg, uh, Michigan, just outside of Lansing. Got a big, beautiful mansion. Actually, William, Thank you, Michelle. William's son. Okay. I guess some old brain cells about Williamsburg keep coming in there but anyway so if uh, if you're ready ladies to do another level of work uh, that uh, workshop has some open spaces and uh, Jean will be flying up there to do that intensive with uh, with strictly women she won't let me come uh, just kind of uncouth but uh, well, I'll just do a worksheet and uh, <clears throat> beyond that we've got one more intensive that's an open one we've actually got two more events to do this summer here at Heartland once we finish this nine day why is this happening to me again intensive? And that is the, uh, the uh, we're doing a three-day personal code evaluation training. And the personal code evaluation is a, an evaluation that we give everyone. That was what um, uh, was being referred to a few minutes ago about love of truth and love of others and how Gail expressed that as uh, part of the evaluation. And what it is is it's a questionnaire that uh, we've set up that measures one's personal code and blockages in the personal code so that we can pinpoint what, uh, what it would be most beneficial for people to work on when they do uh, an intensive or they do personal work with people. So for uh, those who are teaching, uh, done teacher training or laws of living, that's an open uh, three-day uh, mini intensive on uh, personal code evaluation to understand how to administer that and interpret it and make sense of it and use it usefully with working with people in their awakening spiritual process. And then we'll begin on the uh, 29th of uh, August through September 13th uh, doing a Laws of Living intensive. And uh, that's a residential intensive here at Heartland. And the Laws of Living is a, is a workshop that comes straight out of the Aramaic. And the core, the whole process, is about how do we get back into direct relationship with this energetic world around us. If we violate the principles by which the universe operates, we're out of harmony with Laws of Living, and we'll end up in trouble pain, physical, mental, emotional, relationship, financial. And so an example of that would be there's a thing called the law of gravity. You know, if I don't understand the law of gravity and I go step off a cliff, at the bottom of the cliff, bones break. Yeah, it hurts. I, I didn't violate the law, but I didn't understand that if I wanted to stay upright on my feet, I needed to stay away from the cliff. I didn't understand how it worked. One who understands how the laws of living work, for instance, can design and fly an airplane. So understanding how these energy fields that we live, move, and have our being in work gives us a tremendous amount of liberty. And so that's what laws of living is about, is understanding. It's got nothing to do with the set of rules that the creator set up that you better follow or you're in trouble. That's all stuff that comes from the minds of kings. So as we wake up, things change. Come and join us. Blessings. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jimmy Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. A-G-A-I-N dot org.